Welcome back to another episode of The Devil's Party. We're in a new location today. <laughs> you may hear some bird song. And some dog song. Oh yeah, some dog song. That might happen, but it'll be distant, so... <laughs> You'll be blessed <laughs> yes, with dog song. Exactly. <clears throat> Excellent. Well, Cante 5. Almost halfway through book 3. It's extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> Somehow, despite having to start again. <laughs> yes. And in this canto we will, of course, meet Belphoebe again, whom we last saw in book two, mm. with Braggadocio. So, and in fact, let's read the little spoiler. <laughs> Prince Arthur, Prince Arthur bears a, fl- bears a Florimel. He is? Oh, he is a Florimel. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, it's a very small font. Prince Arthur hears a Florimel. <laughs> Three Fosters, Timius, wound. Belphoebe finds him almost dead and reareth out of swoon. A lot of swounding. A lot of Ooh. men swounding. Yes, exactly. Well, men swooned and women swooned, it seems, but that doesn't quite... Hmm. Uh, the thing is that historically a swa has tended to turn into a sa. So we don't say sword anymore. We say sword. Yeah. Hmm. But we do say the, we talk about the greensward, don't we? Do we? Do we? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Greensward. Okay. Well, it, that, that's the, you know, it's spelled sward. S W A R D. Okay. It means a sort of green area of ground. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Hmm. Cool. Perhaps it's a bit old fashioned. Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes I can't tell. <laughs> okay. Wonder it is to see in diverse minds how diversely love doth his pageants play. Yeah, and shows his power in variable kinds. The base of wit, whose idle thoughts all way are wont to cleave unto the lowly clay, and stirreth up to sensual desire, and in lewd sloth to waste his careless day. But in brave sprite it kindles goodly fire, that to all high desert and honour doth aspire. So, we've previously had a distinction between two different kinds of love, Mm -hmm. basically lust and the kind of a higher love that leads you upward. And of course, Dante would claim there's no difference actually, it's all just lust. Like your sort of grumpy grandmother. And Dunn would claim that it's much more complicated than that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But here, we're not distinguishing two kinds of love. We're distinguishing two kinds of effect on different natures. Hmm. So the love is working in the same way, but the baser nature inspires to physical desire. Hmm. And the higher nature inspires to... Works union of, of souls. A union of soul. Yes. Yes. So does it depend on your mood or your nature? Well, yeah, I think. Well, yes, that's true. But back to Joyce Jollyman, casual fruition. Yes. All yeah. that. All that range of uh, opportunities. Yes. Yep. Well, I think I think basically your nature. I mean, because poor old Timius is being thrust into the lower section here. Um, you know. Normally you'd think this meant people like the foster. Mm, the 
woodwows. The woodwows, or, yeah. or the figure of lust we meet later on, who's yeah. fairly unpleasant looking. Basically, a sort of walking male gonads. <laughs> but, um, and I think it's probably a little bit unjust to Timius. <laughs> but he does he does desirable Phoebe as well as um, aspiring to her if you like we'll see it's, it's complicated as mm. always in Spencer and that's the fun of it but Arthur of course falls into the second category I suppose although he was belting after Philorion as much as the others wasn't he yes but maybe entirely with the desire to rescue her from whatever was chasing her sure sure yeah sure Ooh. <laughs> sure, Spencer. Mm. That's right. Well, Spencer knows these things are complicated too. Mm. And that more than one level or layer can coexist in the same person with the same intentions. Mm. The sufferers of uncomely idleness in his free thought to build her sluggish nest. You see how it's actually a difference between between sloth and activity really is what he's getting at here, isn't it? Um, yeah, sloth. You're just trying to fulfil a desire, get me the cheesels. <laughs> yes, that's right. I can't, yes, exactly. <laughs> I can't be bothered. Um, which is interesting because, you know, active lust presumably pursueth that which it lusteth after. Yeah, but that would be effort, wouldn't it? That would so be it's effort. Just whatever <laughs> yeah. comes by that's to selfishly right. appease a desire. That's right. that's right. Phone for a pizza. Exactly. Whereas the, the the brave spirit is inspired to noble deeds, is mm. I think the idea. And the sufferit uncomely idleness in his free thought. And the sufferit it thought of ungentleness ever to creep into his noble breast. But to the highest and the worthiest lifteth it up that else would lowly fall. It's le- it lets not fall, it lets not it to rest. It lets not scarce this prince to breathe at all. But to his first pursuit, him forward still doth call. So, having been balked in his pursuit of Florimel, mm. uh, uh, presumably to reassure her that things everything's are right. okay, everything's okay, <laughs> he goes back to his first pursuit, which is, of course, the fairy queen herself, mm. Gloriana. And we meant to compare them up. We were meant to see that one is lustful and one is of a higher. Order. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Mm. Yeah. But we're also meant to see the similarities, I think, too. Because, mm-hmm. mm. again, it's complicated. That's why, you know, if we think of it exclusively as an allegory, allegories always simplify, don't they? It's part of their function. Mm. This belongs here and that belongs there, and they're quite different because they're personified by different... Um, Spencer's always... He, he's working from allegory, but he's always complicating it. Mm. Who long time wandered through the forest wide. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be eating. <laughs> sorry. I'll start again. It's gone now. Who long time wandered through the forest wide to find some issue thence. Till then at last he met a dwarf. As one does. Let's see. Let's see. been terrified with some late peril which he hardly passed, or rather accident which him aghast. And for me ask it whence he lately came, and whither now he travelled so fast. For so he swat, that's a s- sweated, I suppose, and running through that same thick forest was bescratched, and both his feet nigh lame. Panting for breath and almost out of heart, the dwarf him answered, Sir, ill mote I stay to tell the same, 
I lately did depart from fairy court, where I have many a day served, served a gentle lady of great sway and high account through all of Elfinland, who lately left the same and took this way, her now I seek, and if ye understand which way she fareth, hath, good sir, tell out of hand. A lady of Disloymel, of course. I like to ask random dwarves for directions. Well, yes. <laughs> They're scattered around for that purpose, I'm sure. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, Spencer's dwarves are often carriers of information, aren't they? News and so on. Yeah. That's what we've seen in the past. <laughs> um, A dwarven network of intelligence. Well, I mean, we our first dwarf, of course, is... Ratio. Yuna's dwarf. Well, yeah, well, yeah Yuna's dwarf, and that stands for, yes, for Ratio, for the mm-hmm. lower faculties of the mind conveys information yeah conveys information yes makes deductions sees that you know one and one equals two (laughs) (coughs) she's the this is uh flormel the first part comes from floor the root is flora and flora meaning flower obviously that's where our word comes from flower the native word for us is bloom of course but we don't Mm. use bloom so often And mel, which means honey, from Greek. Oh, uh, so, so she's attracting... Oh, yes, like a pot of honey. Mm. Well, she does, doesn't she? Mm. Yes, that's right. Good point. Also sweet flowers, I suppose, but yes, that's, that's, a, good, that's a very good point. We've, we've seen her, in fact, her main function is to attract flies. <laughs> Much to her. Much to her dis her con- concern. Like, yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly. So, um, but she's a gentle lady. So, gentle, of course, in the moral sense, mm. but also highly born. Mm. And she's of great sway, great power. But her power, of course, is social, as a highborn lady. Mm. Um, that kind of power isn't going to protect you, isn't going to protect your body from the ruffians who seek to, you know. Yeah. 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 You're not going to sway a knight. <laughs> You're not going to sway, well, well yeah, or a peasant. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, can, you, you sway your peasants, but you sway through the social structures, you know. If you're alone in the woods. Yes, the individual peasant. It's difficult to sway. It's difficult to sway, that's right. Um, Please don't rape me, I am of <laughs> noble birth. But... Also, of course, I suppose there's a nice little solipsis there, isn't there? Because this sway is also the kind of power she has. She has a kind of, because of her beauty, she has power, mm-hmm. um, which works one way within civilised society. But when you're running through the woods on your own, it only has power that works against you, because mm. it attracts... Mm. Shakespeare's female heroines when they want to go you know wandering through the woods dress as chaps but they also um well in, in, in as you like it which of course is a lovely pastoral play rosalind dresses as a man um but celia stays a woman but she besmirches herself Okay, cover yourself in mud and muck and... Yeah, don't look so attractive. (laughs) (laughs) You're asking for it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, dress like that, wearing a dress, good God. (laughs) How dare you clothe yourself? Exactly. You wear your own face? Gosh. Exactly. And, of course, going naked would also be (laughs) culpable. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, wear a bin bag, is my advice. <laughs> um, what Mr. White, what kind of person, said he, and how arrayed? Royally clad, quoth he, in cloth of gold. So, yeah, royal, literally royal, of course. As meetest may beseem a noble maid, her fair locks in rich circlet be enrolled. Mm-hmm. Uh, a circlet. So she's a bit like the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, her hair is trussed up. It's carefully... Bound. Bound. So she's not... Always a good sign. A good sign. She's, she's not loose... Morally, sexually. Mm, not wanton in her ringlets. Not wanton in her ringlets, no. And of course, it's okay in the Garden of Eden for Eve to be wanton because mm. there are no rules anyway except don't eat that fruit. All, all the other rules are waived. Yeah. <laughs> if it's, you know, it's like the 1970s. If it itches, scratch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a fairer white did never sun behold. Not a palfrey rides more white than snow, just like Una, interestingly. And like Una, she's got a dwarf, so they're interesting links with Una. My point on Spencer's women. Yes, exactly, exactly. Rides ride a palfrey, got a dwarf. Hmm. Say no more. And a palfrey again. And and indeed, Una, if you remember, when she, when she undoes her tresses... She's like the sun. Mm. Mm. And Britta Mart, whenever she takes off her helmet, it's a ray of sunlight. Ray of sunlight, yep. The surest sign whereby you may know is that she is the fairest white alive, I trow. <laughs> Which is, uh, well, that's I'm interesting. Not sure that's, yeah, because, you know. It's Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's kind of a useless sign, apart from being a, a rather a sure sign, isn't it? Because. Unless her beauty becomes some mystical sign hovering over her head. Yeah. You'd need all the other women to compare and then say, oh, yes, I think she takes the cake. That must be... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, certes, Swain, said he, such one I ween, fast flying through this forest from her foe, a foul, ill-favoured foster I have seen herself. Mm. Well, as I might, I have rescued, though... But could not stay. So fast she did forego, carried away with wings of speedy fear. Ah, dearest God, quoth he, that is great woe and wondrous ruth to all that shall it hear. But can you read, sir, how I may her find? Or where? It's the dwarf talking, of course. Mm. Pity me leave a word to weeten that, said he, than ransom of the richest knight, or all the good that ever yet I get. But froward fortune and two forward nights, such happiness did morgue to me spite, and from me reft both life and light atone. Meaning at once, of course. Mm-hmm. But dwarf, a reed, what is that lady bright that through this forest wandereth thus alone? For of her error strange I have great ruth and moan. So. Error strange. Error strange, yes. Hmm. Wandering, error is wandering. But of course, he's an errant knight. Mm-hmm. We recall that um, Shakespeare makes lots of play on that in book one. Yes, yes. Error, arrogance. And, of course, hero, too. The hero wonders. Hmm. Hmm. It's part of the learning experience. Part of the learning experience. It's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Throwing them in the deep end. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> PhD. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That lady is, quoth he, whereso she be, the bounteous virgin and most debonair. Bounteous means all sorts of things. It means virtuous and kind and noble and brave and chaste. It's a very compendious word. Mm. To be Bounties as boundless as the sea. Yeah, yeah, and, and generous, of course. Generous is crucially it. But it just comes from the French word bonté, which means goodness. Hmm. So, you know, goodness could be anything, couldn't it? Essentially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, generous is interesting because we're obviously this is the book of chastity. Yes, exactly, exactly. And we normally assume that associate chastity with a kind of meanness and generosity with a sort of sexual giving of mm. the self. <laughs> yes, throwing about. Uh, throwing about. You've got that idea you know, strongly, for example, in Antony and Cleopatra, where Antony is generous. He kings and kingdoms drop from his pocket like plate, you know, he gives to everybody everything, and sexually too, he's mm. kind of generous whereas the mean you know, anally retentive, retentive Octavian gives mm. nothing, and is also kind of sexless he, or, nothing. He, yeah. get, he gets his jollies from controlling people, he's a sadist essentially yeah. which of course is exactly what Freud predicts about the anal retentive character mm. yeah or anal sadistic character sometimes called. But, 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 uh, but, the whole point is that this is a conception of chastity which rises way above the mere just say no variety that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Should we pause for the plane? Pause for the plane. This, oh, yes. And most, the bounteous virgin of most debonair. Debonair means gracious, of course. Hmm. That ever living eye I ween did see. Lives none this day that may with her compare in steadfast chastity and virtue rare. And I like that it's virtue with that spelling. Yes, that's right. It denatures it as meaning Man manliness. manliness and, and that's a good point. Yeah. Spencer's so interested in spelling and what spelling can imply about the history of a word that you can cut a word loose from its restrictive etymology hmm. simply by... Messing about with the spelling. I like that. Excellent point. <laughs> I, I wonder. Well, no, I mean, I. Um, but he spells it the other way every other time. Well, because he's he's often invoking that, you know, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and he would know. He's he would have been swimming in language. Of course, so. that's exactly it. Yeah. You know, this is this is Latin. It's his mother's meat to him. Uh, try. Mother's milk. <laughs> well, whatever. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> Exactly. But Shakespeare, no, Shakespeare. Spencer is interested in liberating it, I think, from that rather restrictive yeah. idea. Well, of course, I mean, as we know, at the heart of this poem is a desire to escape gender misogyny. binary. Well, yeah. misogyny, <laughs> but also gender yeah. binaries, which, yeah. of course, produce misogyny. Yeah. If woman is entirely the other, you know... An evil. Then, yes, she's, she's wicked, she's a tempter, she, she lures you into... Naughtiness. And it is funny that he's made Thoramal the honeypot, but then just showing how the flies are the actual yes, problem. Yes, they're the problem. The honey's just sat on the window, so... I know, just minding its own business. Completely amoral. Just minding its own business, exactly, exactly. Yeah, which, of course, you know, is, is exactly like 
the romantic treatment of the Lorelei theme that mm. we've talked about again and again. Mm. The, the Belle Dame from Mercy or the Lorelei isn't doing a thing. Just combing her hair, mm. thinking about, you know, what she'll have for supper tonight. I didn't know. Mm. And it's all, all these crazy men who are then attributing to her the power to warp and twist them and, you know, to so their will. So Sue's another one. She just was hanging out on her island. Well, that's right. <laughs> Get invaded by this troop of sailors. Of course she's going to do something about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fair suck of the sauce bottle, as Kevin Rudd would say. We have broken Kevin Rudd. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, who sucks sauce bottles? Is my question. But never mind. <laughs> no, it was Tony Abbott. Was it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Kevin Rudd's not that stupid. <laughs> yeah, he's not he's stupid. He's smart. <laughs> he's not stupid, but he's not deeply connected to, should we say, demotic Australian culture. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, neither am I. <laughs> Lives none this day that this is stands arrayed. Then may with her compare in steadfast chastity and virtue the goodly ornaments of beauty bright. And is he cleeped Florimel the fair? Fair Florimel beloved of many a night. And she loved none but one. But Marinelle is height. A sea nymph, son, that Marinelle is height. Interestingly, the, the verse becomes kind of operatic here in a way which, I mean, sort of weaves these patterns of repetition. Yeah. Like an aria. We've got the chiasmus and then... Yeah. Anaphora? Same place in the same Absolutely. line. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Um, I see of some that Marinella's height of my dear dame is loved dearly well. Mm. Not that it's none, but him that she sets delight. All the delight is set on Marinelle. Yeah, it's rather neat. Mm. Dear, dear, delight, delight. Yeah. But, you know, if, if you think that poetry is about conveying information, you're going to get very frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spencer does like to faff about every now and then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Let does. him have his yeah, moments. It's music. Yeah. Language is music. But he sets naught at all by Flodemel. The lady's love, his mother long ago did him, they say, forswear and forewarn through sacred spell. But fame now flies that of a foreign foe he is a slain, which is the ground of all our woe. You notice know, these stanzas about Florimel, there's an awful lot of alliteration on F. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's kind of making a music out of her name in a way. It's, it's a wonderful musical name. Mm. Um, there are no plosives, that is no consonants that, that are produced by a kind of an explosion of breath. Lots of continuance, like fricatives. Lots of L's and M's, that is to say, voiced continuance. These these are the secrets of music. Of poetry? Poetry, well, yeah. I mean, sometimes you want poetry to be harsh. I mean, sometimes, mm. you, you know, poetry isn't all panpipes and... Yeah, um... You're describing something harsh. Oh, harsh. When uh, Satan is crawling through the. Oh, yes. With head, hands, wings, or feet pursues his way. Mm. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Five days there be since he, they say, was slain, and four since Florimel the court forewent, and vowed never to return again, till him alive or dead she did invent. Invent meaning find, of course. 
Therefore, fair sir, for love of knighthood, gent, and honour of true ladies, if ye may, by your good counsel, or bold hardiment, or succour her, or me direct the way, do one or other good, as ye most humbly pray. Very eloquent dwarf, isn't he? <laughs> More elegant than dwarfs we've met, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, a, 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 a little confusion here, because the earlier, earlier in the poem, we're told that a flight from the foster precedes Marielle's wounding, and now we're told it follows Marielle's wounding. But that may be kind of deliberate. After all, we are in fairyland. Mm. We're in a dream. Mm. It's sort of. It's kind of both, in a way, I suppose you could say. I'm happy just to let him off. (laughs) (laughs) With a plot hole. (laughs) With a plot hole, yes. Um, Yeah, okay. (laughs) I mean, and who's going to notice anyway? Us, that's about it. Well, that's... that's (laughs) You, even. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um. (laughs) Set a... An essay on the plot holes in Spencer's The Fairy Queen. <laughs> oh, I'll ask Chat GPT. Ah. <laughs> well, it'll say, I don't know, is the fact that dragons don't really exist a plot hole? It's not really, is it? Plot I'll ask it later true. and report back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if you attribute some power to dragons, which then this dragon failed to show in battle that might be a problem mm. Yeah. Mm. so may ye gain to you full great renown of all good ladies through the world so wide and happily in her heart find highest room of whom you seek to be most magnified so the dwarf is a canny dwarf <laughs> <laughs> he's spotted that knights do stuff for renown mm-hmm. and to get in the good books of fair ladies they want to get into the panties of mm-hmm. rather than out of a moral desire to, you know, rescue. help anyone. <laughs> yeah, help anyone. Slay, slay dragons to help people. The dragon is, you know, terrorizing or whatever. Even Arthur, of whom you seek to be most magnified, at least eternal need shall you abide. Presumably heaven, I suppose. Need is reward. Doom the prince dwarf, comfort to thee take. For till thou tidings learn what her betide, I fear a vow thee never to forsake. Ill wears he arms, and nil them use for ladies' sake. Mm. So. <laughs> mm. Well, it's back to the example we used last time of um, John Cleese and Monty Python and Holy Grail climbing in oh, the yes. tower to find out it's That's a right. chap and being like, oh, yeah. stay there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've got something better to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he literally says that, yeah. Mm. That's exactly right. So, uh, I wonder if the dwarf is thrilled by this news. <laughs> I hear it about the inevitable forsake. Okay. So with the dwarf, he back returned again to seek his lady where he might her find. But by the way, he greatly can complain the want of his good squire they left behind, for whom he wondrous pensive grew in mind. Only now is he like, ah! Oh. Yes, hello. <laughs> there was somebody writing... Tinius. Yes. <laughs> Forgot about him. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's funny. Yes, it's like, like the end of King Lear, where somebody says, you know, where's, where's Lear and Cordelia? 
great thing of us forgot. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, all this while, Full hardly was assayed of deadly danger, which to him betid. For whilst his lord pursued that noble maid, and after foster fowl he fiercely rid, he been avenged of the shame he did to that fair damsel. Him he chased along through the thick woods, wherein he would have hid his shameful head from his avengement strong, and often threatened death for his outrageous wrong. So he's chasing the hoster. I mean, it may be, of course, that we're meant to imagine a sort of... This is Fairyland again, a weird telepathic connection, you know, but because he's in impending danger, so maybe sends up this... Waves. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I'll pay it. <laughs> Nevertheless, the villain sped himself so well, whether through swiftness of his speedy beast, or knowledge of those woods where he did dwell, that shortly he from danger was released, and out of sight escaped at the least. Yet not escaped from the due reward of his bad deeds, which daily he increased, the ceased not till him oppressed hard the heavy plague. But for such lectures is prepared. For soon as he was vanished out of sight, his coward courage gan embolden be, and cast avenge him of that foul despite which he had borne of his bold enemy. Though to his brethren came, for there were three ungracious children of one graceless squire. Without grace, of course, obviously. Mm-hmm. None to them complained how that he had been used had used been of that foolhardy squire. So then, with bitter words, he stirred to bloody ire. Um, why do I have the note here, Neapolitan Bonake? 1494 Siege of something. Is this... Well, the Neapolitan Bonake, of course, was a, a, a name for syphilis. Yeah. Okay, why were we talking about that? Syphilis? Yeah. Um, oh. oh, I think the heavy plague that for such lectures is prepared. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's what we thought. That's where it comes from. Yeah, because uh, it was first spotted at the siege of Naples in fourteen. Oh, that says Naples, does it? Good job, Alice. Oh, what did you? What did you? Oh, it's Naples, but it's illegible. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And um, possibly a mutated form of a thing that we call leprosy in the Middle Ages, but wasn't actually leprosy in the sense of Hansen's disease. Oh. It was a kind of virulent skin condition. Mm, yum. Yeah. Linked with syphilis or just... Well, no, not really. Oh, okay. oh, oh, see, oh no, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, well, it's possible that that mutated into syphilis. Mm, yum, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, humans are gross. Okay. I know. I know. Anyway, we don't know. Because hmm. it's often been claimed that it came from the New World. Of course. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that meant somebody did something naughty with an Indian. Mm. I suppose. Which is not unconceivable. Almost as if they brought it to the Indians. Well, like everything else, like smallpox and God Mm -hmm. knows what, yeah. The whole catalogue of foul diseases. For soon as he was, oh yes, um, as soon as he was vanished out of sight, his coward courage got emboldened. Oh, sorry, we've done that. Yes, ungracious children. Oh, yes, sorry, we're then. These three brothers. And apparently they represent the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Three. Which is from John. Yeah, Oh, three. okay. Um, so the foster seems to be the lust of the eye. Right. Um, 
as far as one can tell. Checks out. Yeah. So, I mean, lots of the eye. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a distinction we don't sort of think about nowadays. We think of lust. But lust of the lust of the eye. Looking's okay as long as you're not speaking oh, well, into someone's bedroom window. Well, yes and no. It's not. Well, I see what you mean. You're thinking of Matthew. Uh, yeah. Yes. You're thinking, I sure am. You're thinking of Christ saying that he that lust. He that. Um, seeketh a woman to lust after her in his heart, he hath already committed fornication with her, or adultery. And, and the point is that if you go back to the Latin, it's much clearer. Because the Latin... <laughs> <laughs> it's an oxymoron, yeah. <laughs> well, the Latin makes it clear that it's not just seeing someone and fancying them that's a sin. That's inevitable. Oh, because the object and the subject would make sense, wouldn't it, in Latin? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're, you know, you're wounded... Um, by Cupid's dart. Yeah, yeah. Can't help it. But it's when you contrive to feast your view upon them, when you're kind of perving after them, when you're climbing up ladders to peering windows, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Or indeed, you know, um, the internet now is a, a feast of lust of the eye. It sure is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. But you're not going to be doing anything with any of these people. You're just there to watch, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Whereas lust of the flesh may not be greatly concerned with the appearance of that which it... Ah, oh, great. Cats are grey in the night. Yeah. The bed trick. It just wants to, you know, as... Scratch. As in Romeo and Juliet, it wants, you know, it wants to go up and down and hide its bauble in a hole. That's... That's what Mercutio says. I was going to say, that's definitely Mercutio. Yeah, Mercutio <laughs> right. Why. So, any old hole will do, really. Um, so, <sighs> it is a useful distinction, I think, hmm. in a way. But, of course, it also applies to you know, Lamborghinis or you know, hmm. all sorts of things you might... Chocolate tarts. I suppose, I suppose you... Yeah, I suppose so. But... Don't you have an, a view to kind of eating the tart? Yeah, ravishing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose it's a period. Yeah, actually, it'd be beautifully prepared food. Why bother? Why not just serve it up you know, like pig's will? So that's okay. that's who these people are, these brothers. <laughs> and they're all... They're all... They're kind of... Um, a threat to Timius because of well he's been kind of stirred up by Florimel. Stirred up yep. Stirred up, yes. Locked up yep. That's right and he's going to be even more stirred up by Belfidi. Mm. Mm. So Almost as if he might be the problem. Yes that's right that's right <laughs> exactly so exactly so Forthwith themselves with their sad instruments of spoil and murder began arm believe quickly. And with him forth into the forest went to wreak the wrath which he did erst revive in their stern breasts on him which late did drive their brother to reproach and shameful flight. For they had vowed that never he alive out of that forest should escape their might. Vile rancor their rude hearts had filled. Excuse me, with such despite. We remember um, the importance of the lust of the eyes 
as a modern term, we remember scopophilia. Mm. Scopo, scopos meaning look, see, like a telescope, far mm-hmm. looking, and philia meaning love. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it can often preclude actual activity. So in the, bar- the Bar of Bliss is a paradise of scopophilia. Mm. Everybody's watching and looking, but mm. nobody's actually kind of doing anything productive or generative. And like, yeah, uh, we're just talking about the internet, like, I guess, like Pornhub. Yeah. Same sort of thing. Yeah. yeah everyone's just That's looking right. yeah. and wasting. Yes. It should be called, it should be called scopophilia. Oh. I feel like that'd be lost. <laughs> <laughs> People wouldn't be able to spell that. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Within that wood, there was a covert glade. Mm. Mm. Beautiful warrior, yeah, covert glade. Because of course, a glade is an open space in a wood, but if the wood is tall and high enough, it still can be covered. It'd be spooky, yeah. It'd be spooky. For by a narrow ford to them well known, through which it was uneath for white to wade. Very difficult to wade through this narrow ford. It's maybe narrow but it's very deep mm-hmm. and now by fortune it was overflown by that same way they knew the squire unknown might all gates pass so they know which way he's coming for they themselves they, for that for thy therefore themselves they sit there in a wait with thick woods overgrown and all the while their malice they did wet with cruel threats his passage through the ford to let and of course, to let here means to prevent. It's one of those funny words which were contronyms in the past. Hmm. You know, contronym it means a word which means its opposite. What's another example? Uh, cleave. To cleave means to separate things with a cleaver. Yeah. But also to cleave together. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Curious. Why? Or even propune. No. No? <laughs> <laughs> What's, how do you propune? Propune. Well, propune literally Latin for, pro, and pugnare to fight. Ah. So fighting for. But if, are you, if you're fighting for the Celts, are, are you fighting against the Celts or are you fighting with the Celts? Not clear. Ah, yes. So. <laughs> so why? it's kind of a useless word. It's one of those. Well, yeah, yeah why? I don't know. Uh, I, I think with the, with the other examples... They're different words that have fallen together through sound change, generally speaking. Because obviously it's kind of useless to have a word that means its opposite. So what happens is that one of the two meanings drops out. So now we don't think of cleave in the sense of man and wife cleaving together. No. We just cleave asunder. Damn. Mm. Interesting. Cleave me this log asunder, you might say to your servant. I do, yeah. yeah. Every day. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> With a cleaving tool. Um, it fortunate, as they devised it, the gentle squire came riding that same way, unwitting of their wile and treason bad, and through the ford to passenger to say, but that fierce foster, which of late, which late fled away, stoutly forth-stepping on the further shore, him boldly bade his passage there to stay till he had made amends, and full restore for all the damage which he had him done before. You wonder how he's going to do that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I just give myself up to the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> 
With that at him, a quivering dart he threw, which so fell force and villainous despite that through his habergen the forkhead flew, and through the linked mails impierced quite, so it goes right through his chain mail. Mm. But had no power in his soft flesh to bite. That struck the hardy squire, that, that stroke the hardy squire did sword as please, but more than him he could not come to smite. For by no means the high bank he could seize, but laboured long in that deep ford with vain disease. Distressed, is it? Um, so, the Forster's, the Foster's arrow, dart, <laughs> penetrates his, his chain mail, but doesn't penetrate his breast. So he's kind of immune to lust of the eye, interestingly. Okay. He's because he because of his kind of virtuous chaste habitual. Well, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Which is a metaphor for his virtue and chastity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't get any further than just penetrating. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, well, maybe his breast is impenetrable. Maybe that's what it is. Yes. Yes. We'll, we'll take that. Which means he could have saved the business of wearing a habitant, couldn't he? Hmm. It's a heavy thing. Didn't even need it. Symbolism. Symbolism, exactly. Um, but still the fo- and still the foster with his long ball spear him kept from landing as as his wished will. So he's kind of with his long ball spear keeping fending him off. But of course we immediately ball think ball spear, we think of long uh, ball spear in particular. Hang on. It's not Achilles. No. Uh, it'll No I'm too tired. Oh, Phoebe! Uh, and Phoebe. also, and also, who gets got with a boar spear? Well, through uh, the groin. Ah, now you're thinking of who gets bitten by a boar through the groin. Sure. You're thinking of Adonis. Adonis. Yes. Oh, okay. It's a boar. Yeah, right? yeah. It's a boar. Right. He, he didn't have his boar. Maybe he did have his boar spear, but yeah. And of course, as we keep pointing out. Yeah, the thigh is yeah. always euphemism for the groin, adjacent. Yeah. And that's biblical and classical. Huh, cool. Mm. So, yeah, all right, it's um, Miss Balfabi who has a ball spear, which is her swinging... She, she has a long ball spear. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a short one. <laughs> I guess that's important. <laughs> well, well, it is. It means that there's a direct characterisation in between these two... Mm-hmm. So it's not that, you know, in any way the Forster is like Belfie because obviously they're polar opposites. But there's a link between them. Because just as the Foster seeks to wound him with his long bore spear, so Belfie will wound him, mm-hmm. not with her bore spear, but with desire. Yeah, okay. Throughout this, there's lots of sort of. You really can't get away from the uh, phallic imagery there, can you? It is hard, yes, so to speak. <laughs> Even it did, it did it thrill. <laughs> yes, thrill, the pierce, yeah, exactly. The pierce. A, a nostril is simply a nose piercing. A thrill. My thrills. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> his heart was thrilled, means his heart was pierced. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so now we talk about cheap thrills, and I, you know, <laughs> I don't know where <laughs> the word has been degraded. Mm. So, 
he's fending him off with his long boar spear. Mm-hmm. Anon, one sent out of a thicket near a cruel shaft headed with deadly hill and feathered, feathered with an unlucky quill. The wicked steel stayed not to be delight in his left thigh, and deeply did it thrill. Exceeding grief that wounded him in pipe, but more that with his foes he could not come to fight. So he's wounded in the groin. By presumably this is lust of the flesh that's done this, mm-hmm. and of course he's you know Cupid has arrows too. Uh, and the question is, how does he wound you? How does he wound? Yes, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Yeah. At last, in wrath, again, this is interesting, isn't it? Because he hasn't yet met Belphoebe, mm. but this is remember it's a dream, so that actual sequence A follows B follows C is not as important as things being associated in the and dream. I guess also he's trying to emphasise that it's it's not Barfibi herself, it's just he's pierced by the lust of the eye and whatever comes by. She's not doing anything. Yeah, a bit like that. Like yeah. like the love potion in um, or the love juice, as it's called, in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter who... What, whatever you see next, you're going to fall in love with. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Yes, the donkey might have walked past and he would have been into it, so... Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's some some terrible joke about a nice ass there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, what's uh, occupatio when you say, I'm not going to talk about the thing that I'm talking about? Uh Uh-huh, good good one. Exactly. Um... At last, through wrath and vengeance making way, he on the bank arrived with Nicopain. Where the third brother him did sore assay, and drove at him with all his might and main of forest bill. A bill is a a blade on a long hook, like a like a halberd. You know halberd? Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like I've seen one of the Tower of London. Yeah, well, there we are, yes, good. yes you, would, yeah. you would have done, yeah. That's basically it. Um... Look at that. I lost this. Oh, yes. But warily he did avoid the blow, and with his spear requited him again. Both his sides were thrilled with the throw, and a large stream of blood out of the wounded flow. It's, I don't think he meant to think of this, but of course, Christ is famously on the cross, wounded with a spear in the side. Surely, well, I suppose you're not actually, no. You're not meant to think of Christ. No, but, well, no, Hard not. not to, though. Well, yeah, I know. Because, of course, that's associated with grace. This flow of blood and water from the side of Christ after being wounded with a spear. And water? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. I just have to accept these things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he, tumbling down with gnashing teeth, did bite the bitter earth. It's interesting, that idea of biting the dust, you know, is... Um, <laughs> Bite the bitter earth and had to let him in into the baleful house of endless night. The wicked ghosts do wail their former sin. Then began the battle freshly to begin for nevermore. For that spectacle bad. I know, spectacle. Spencer. Did the other two their cruel vengeance bring? But both at once on him, their sides. Sorry. But both at once on him, 
on both sides him bestad, and load upon him laid his life for two of head. So they're both attacking him once on either side. Though when that villain he arrived which later frighted had the fairest Florel, full of fierce fury and indignant hate, to him he turned, and with rigor fell, smote him so rudely on the panicel. <laughs> Nasty. But to the chin he cleft his head in twain. Panicel is because the helmet. Okay. Uh, yeah. You're nice. <laughs> Down on the ground his carcass groveling fell. The sinful soul with desperate disdain out of her fleshy farm fled to the place of pain. It's not often that I think, come on, Spencer, get on with it. <laughs> but, uh. Well, he's doing this, of course, <laughs> because he's writing uh, an epic, and Homer requires almost kind of gruesome anatomical, clinical anatomical descriptions of wounds, because you find them in Homer. Yeah. So. If that, if that weren't the case, he probably wouldn't be doing this. Mm. It's not as though he's catering to some sort of gruesome taste in his readers, right? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, though, interestingly, of course, that's one bit of epicry, you know, epic custom that Milton doesn't. Partly because, of course... It wouldn't work. You've got angels. Yes, exactly. They, so he talks about them cutting them, and then, of course, he just goes... He, he take, he, in fact, he takes the piss out of it. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> Having the wound heal immediately. It must have irritated him. Yes, well, that's right. I feel like Milton would have been an irritable man. <laughs> yes. Grumpy. <laughs> grumpy, yeah. Yes. Grumpy with Homer and grumpy with Virgil. <laughs> and his daughters. And, yes, and his daughters. But of course, in, you know, in Paradise Lost, he's saying, look, this is how you write an epic, for Christ's sake. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it right, yes. guys. <laughs> exactly. Whereas Dante is kind of like, oh, how do we feel about <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, the Fleshly Farm is curious. <laughs> I suppose the idea is that farms were often rented rather than owned, so your body is kind of rented from God. Yep. And when you leave it, you know, well, it doesn't get another tenant, really, does it, on the whole? No. No, no well, you hope. <laughs> yes, exactly. Frankenstein. Yes. Oh, yes, exactly. Exactly. Or a zombie. Mm. But seeing now the only last of three who with that wicked shaft him wounded had, trembling with horror, as it did foresee the fearful end of his avengement sad, through which he followed should his brethren bad, his bootless bow in feeble hand up, up course, this of course is lust of the flesh, mm -hmm. and there was shot an arrow at the lad, which faintly fluttering scarce his helmet wrought, and glancing fell to ground, but him annoyed naught. With that he would have fled into the wood, but Timius him lightly overhent, right as he entering was into the flood, and struck at him with force so violent, the headless him into the but headless him into the ford he sent. The carcass with the stream was carried down, but the head fell backward on the continent. The third or fourth use of that meaning bank that we've had in this hmm. book I, in this the head fell backward on the continent. So mischief fell upon the meaner's crown, 
the the person intending mischief. So it's a kind of ironic, you know. Mm, y- yeah. You intend the mischief, and you get. May three be dead with shame. The squire lives with renown. What every knight wants. Mm-hmm. He lives, but takes small joy of his renown. For of that cruel wound he bled so sore that from his steed he fell in deadly swoon. Not a swoon, but still the blood forth gushed in so great store that he lay wallowed in all in his own gore. Now God thee keep, thou gentlest squire alive, else shall thy loving lord thee see no more. But both of comfort him thou shalt deprive, and eke thyself of honour, which thou didst achieve. Now, of course, there are 55 stanzas, which means that stanza 27 is bang in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, indeed, and it begins with the word providence. <laughs> providence, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you, you pay attention, Milton's saying. Um, and indeed, the very middle line of the whole canto, then, is the middle line of that stanza. In those same woods, you well remember me, how that a noble huntress did one. She the base braggadocia did fray. So the very centre of the canto introduces Don Phoebe. Providence heavenly passeth living thought, and doth for wretched men's relief make way. For lo, great grace or fortune did abroad comfort to him, but comfortless now lay. In those same woods, you well remember me, how that a noble huntress did one. She that base braggadocio did the fray and made him fast out of the forest run. Belphoebe was her name, the fair as Phoebe's son. Interesting the way she's introduced, isn't it? She's introduced. You remember as... her from last time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But also, she's a noble huntress mm-hmm. and she scares men. Mm. Not she's beautiful, which of course is, you know. That's true. Yeah. Yep. And, I mean, we get to make yeah, she's as fair as Phoebus' son, but that's the last thing in the stanza. She on a day, as she pursued the chase of some wild beast, which from her arrows keen she wounded had, the same along did trace by tract of blood, which she had freshly seen, to have besprinkled on the grassy green. I mean, obviously, it's it's a you know, it is a boar or something she's chasing, but it lines up with the story we've just heard, mm. so it may as well have been. Um, Yes, exactly. Well, again, it's a dream-like superimposition, or Mm. superposition, isn't it? The wounding of the boar. So she has, in a sense, wounded, not through agency, because the agent is clearly uh, the foster's brother, but nonetheless it's kind of happened, particularly since he's wounded in the groin. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, we've all got to remember that we're not dealing with a naturalistic narrative. It's not a Victorian novel. We're dealing with <laughs> something that's working, working a bit like a dream, as we keep saying, or I keep saying. Yeah. We draw connections. Do I have besprinkled all the grassy greens? So she's following the trace of blood. Spencer couldn't have foreseen, of course, that her being a huntress would alienate a lot of readers centuries later. Modern readers who would see it not, you know, 
She shouldn't be wounding helpless little animals in the forest. Ah, she's yeah, shooting Bambi's mum. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, except she, I mean, she's actually chasing wild boar, which... They're not doing much good. But yes, you could do a vegetarian reason, really, no, <laughs> yes. no Phoebe. Oh, God, somebody, I'm sure somebody has. Or an a, a, a eco-feminist reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm sure it has a place. It's just ruined Spencer. I know. I tell you what, that's that's a project for Chat GPT. <laughs> do an eco-feminist reading of the Fairy Queen and see what it comes up with. That would be. When I have Wi-Fi, I will ask it. <laughs> uh, well, hope she the beast of gold had been, and made more haste the life to have bereaved. But, ah, her expectation greatly was deceived. Shortly she came, whereas that woeful squire with blood deformed lay in deadly swooned. In whose fair eyes, like lamps of quenched fire, the crystal humour stood congealed around. So his, his eyes are sort of dying. Mm. His locks, like faded leaves, fallen to ground, knotted with blood in bunches, rudely ran. It's interesting that word fallen there is a nice reversal, so there's a slight little shock there. Um... It's not a smooth line. His locks, like faded leaves, fallen to ground. There's a suddenness about the fall. Oh yes. Nice touch. See, poetry. Yeah. Well, we've said it before, but in this enormous poem, he has time to care about individual lines Mm. and the the rhythmical shape and sound patterning of individual lines. Um, Not for nothing is he called the poet's poet. No. All the romantics loved him. So did 18th century poets. And everyone Milton has loved, loved Spencer. Yes. Everyone who's taken poetry seriously is I think it's an value. acid test for, do you actually like poetry? Yeah. Oh, yes, like faded leaves from the ground, knotted with blood in bunches, rudely ran. And his sweet lips, on which before that stound, the bud of youth to blossom fair began, spoiled of their rosy red, were waxen pale. Well, it's a very odd passage, actually, in a way. Like a sort of pornography of death in a weird way, you know, it's invoking beauty, but beauty in decay or something like that. Yeah, and it's not quite memento mori, is it? It's no. It's mm. it's almost a romantic sensibility being. Mm. So never living eye more heavy sight than could have made a rock, a rock of stone to rue, or rise rive in twain, which when that lady bright besides all hope with melting eyes did view. Or suddenly abashed, she changed hue, and with stern horror backward began to start. But when she better him beheld, she grew full of soft passion and unwonted smart. The point of pity pierced through her tender heart. That's an odd stanza, but it's not quite clear what's going on. Um, when that lady bright, beside all hope, with melting eye did view, beside all hope, all hope of his recovery... So it's compassionate. Compassionate, yes, so it's compassionate. But then she suddenly, with horror, starts back. And I think that's to do with the fact that she's beginning to fall in love with him. Um, Because the whole idea that pity leads to love... Oh, yeah, pity and piety. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, So she's horrified because, of course, you know, she's the independent huntress dashing through the forest, slaying boar... Last thing she wants is... A man. A man, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. Exactly. Hanging out nappies, you know. Yes. <laughs> Use the disposal ones, although, of course, they're not really... 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. But she she doesn't fancy the idea at all. No. Well. On the. <laughs> But when she bit him, Behil, she grew full of soft passion and unwanted smart. Point of pity pierced through her tender heart. It's, it's she's defending herself. She, yeah, uh, subconsciously. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But nonetheless, she yields. Mm. The point of pity pierces her tender heart, and the tender heart was mm. is susceptible to love, as we know from Chaucer and Dante and. All that lot. Mm. Pity that runneth soon in gentle heart. As Chaucer says. Oh. Pity that runneth soon in gentle heart. <laughs> Meekly she bowed down to wheat of life, yet in his frozen members did remain. I'm sure she did. Mm. Mm. I wonder which frozen members she went for. Mm. And feeling by his pulses beating rife that the weak soul has seat did yet retain. She cast to comfort him with busy pain. His double-folded neck she reared upright and rubbed it. I'm not quite sure why his neck is double-folded. It's a slight puzzlement to me. I mean, yeah, if it were double-folded, he'd, he'd be have a twisted neck. He'd be dead, wouldn't he? Very dead, unless... No. No, no. It's, it's a little unclear. Presumably his head is hanging back. If she raises him, his head falls back, and so she raises it up. Mm. I don't think we're going to get very far with uh, that one. Does Hamilton say anything? Of course not. Um, let's have a look. Probably not. 31. No. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> nope. Not a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> so speak. Um and rubbed his temples in, in each trembling vein. His, <laughs> well... Could it much? She's thorough. Yeah. <laughs> his bailed habergeon she did undite, and from his head this heavy burgonet did light. So, you know, she undoes his... Helmet. There, there is, in this whole description, an unmistakable tinge of the erotic. Yes. Yes. Well, you meet a... A pretty young man in a swound. Exactly. Who needs your help and uh, you happen to be wandering by and you've never really thought about pretty young men before, but there is one. There's and one. he's not really saying much about you taking his shirt off. No. So. Or chafing his members. Yeah. Yes. And what was it? <laughs> Touching his veins. Touching um, his veins, yes. All that. And it, 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 she continues. Yeah. It wouldn't work if it was the other way around, would it? No. We'd be a little upset. Exactly. There is a double standard. There is a double, definitely a double standard. I guess also she's not. Oh, yeah, it's erotic, but she's not going to rape him. No. <laughs> I'd like, unlike the you know the mother of um, the mother of Baronel Simoen, to remember who, yeah. having a snooze in the woods and passing night thinks, oh, fancy that. You'll do. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Into the woods, thenceforth in haste she went to seek for herbs that might him remedy. Mm-hmm. For she of herbs had a great intendiment. Now, isn't that interesting? Yes. Because Women's secret knowledge. And it's the maiden mother crone thing as well. Yeah. Because it's a little witchy, but you would associate that with the croniness. But yeah. it, she's the three in one. That's right. And that gives her more power. Yes, exactly, exactly. See, Josh, I did listen. Um, <laughs> he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is. It's. It's. 
it's a positive thing. I mean, normally, yes, association women with herbs, as you said, it's a witchy thing. Um, We've seen it with Glauca. The wise woman of the village. Yeah, the wise woman of the village would often be the first up for suspicion of witchcraft. You know. Mm. Um, but no. Mm. Yeah. Taught of the nymph, which from her infancy her nurse had had in true nobility, which is Glauki, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. There, whether it divine tobacco were, <laughs> interesting, isn't it? And of course, tobacco was seen as a a miracle cure. Almost every new thing is often, you know, seized upon initially as a miracle cure. It's like um, when 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 they discovered X-rays, they the people would expose themselves to X-rays as a curative. Uh, yeah, didn't hmm. didn't go well. Didn't go well. Didn't go well. That's right. And tobacco tobacco was felt to be to have curative properties. Hell, claims of that kind were made up to the 1950s. Well, yeah, mm. yeah, to make money. Yeah. And of course, you're you're aware that a Victorian remedy for someone who's taken uh, from the sea half drowned was was to blow tobacco up their ass with a special, of course, with a special oh, they had pipe. A special pipe. Of a course special, they did. Well, and in fact, just as you know, nowadays by the the, 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 say the side of the Thames, you might have light belts. Uh-huh. Here you had little racks with, you know, the, the blowing out smoke up the arse pipes. I mean, it would wake you up. <laughs> I suppose it would. Anything. Happen. Yes. You begin to twitch and think, hello, what you are you doing? blow perfume up your arse and it would wake you up. I know. <laughs> or just... Thought, uh, I know. But the thing is, you see, if it worked once, you don't do control, you know, blind... Peer-reviewed. Like, peer-reviewed <laughs> tests. You think, wow, it works, let's do it. That'll do. That'll do. Okay. Okay. What's the modern? I'm trying to think of what's the latest cure-all. Oh well, there's some. Well, I mean, ChatGPT. Uh, yeah, but you know, the, the latest superfood. You know. Yeah, chia seeds, acai bowls, quinoa, mm. all that kind of crap. Yeah, exactly. Most, for the most part, it's just neutral. So it's got some nice protein, and that's about it. <laughs> that's right. But okay. people, people are very credulous where health is concerned. Always <laughs> have been, I suppose. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't yeah, it? it is. We're so superstitious. Except, hmm. except, I mean, a lot of people, they they cease to be credulous. They become <laughs> sceptical when they're faced with doctors and science. You know. That they're happy to eat. What was it? Horse tranquilizer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. None of your none of your vaccinations for me, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny, so perverse. Yeah. Oh well. Well, I suppose it's always been that way. So I'll keep my smoke ass blower handy. Yes, just in case. You never know. The things you learn here, folks. <laughs> That's right. Um, I don't know when they stopped that practice. <laughs> <laughs> there might still be a pipe. <laughs> there might still be a pipe. That's right. You'd want to wash it afterwards, though, wouldn't you? You hope. You hope. So whether it divine tobacco were, or panacea, or polygony, she found and brought it to her patient dear, who all this while lay bleeding out his bleeding out his heart blood near. Incidentally, little sidebar, but one person who did see tobacco for what it was was of course King James, who 
wrote a pamphlet called A Counterblast to Tobacco, where he said it was a foul thing that blackened your lungs and shortened your life and, you know... How observant of him. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? He wasn't an idiot, James. Well, he was described, of course, famously as the wisest fool in Christendom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and compared to Elizabeth as well. Well, it's yeah. Hard. Yes. Yeah, you look, everyone looks like But she idiot. had practical wisdom and, you know... Um, Intelligence. Yes, exactly. Yeah, OK. Yeah. <laughs> she, was, she was sui generis, we might say. We might? Meaning, meaning in a class of her own. Ah, OK. Mm. Literally of its own kind, Latin. Sui. Sui. And genus's kind, generis... As in genus. Exactly, as in genus. And generis is the genitive. Also, of its own kind. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you can pick up a little Latin in these. <laughs> Come with me and you'll see. <laughs> the sovereign weed betwixt two marbles plain she powdered small. Pounded small, I beg your pardon. <laughs> and did in pieces bruise. So she's, she's like an apothecary here, you know. Mm. With that... With that Apothecary's, um, there's a word for it, isn't there? Mortar and pestle? Yeah, mortar and pestle, thank you. Well done. And did it did in pieces bruise, and then between her lily hand is twain, or lily hands twain. I know this is a, a, that's a very technical detail, but either you say handers, which seems very crude, um, or? or you have a catalexis. Okay. Which is Peter's a, very excited, everyone. I am. I am. A catalexis. which is a missing offbeat. And it forces emphasis upon either side of it. So her lily hands twain. So hands gets a special little kind of spin there. Ooh. Lily hand. Look, I like it as well. Yeah. Exactly. There's another one coming up. Okay, I'll try and... S- <laughs> I won't spot it, but I'll do my best. Okay. Um, so, it contributes to this faint eroticising of the process, if I may put it that way. <laughs> okay, yeah, Lily hands. Lily hands, yes, exactly. Twain. Twain. Yeah. Into his wound the juice that often screws. Screws. Not a good word. word. <laughs> no. Well, we've met it before. Yeah, we have. At the entrance to the Bower of Bliss, where she's the, the, the woman of, the fruit. She screws. Yes, she, she exactly. And it, it, would, it would again seem to be inappropriate if if it were it, gendered it the other way. It might seem to be inappropriate. Might yeah. seem to be inappropriate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it happens when you sort of enter a Berlin nightclub, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Must get screws to the door. That's right. (laughs) And round about as she could well it view, use the flesh therewith she suppled and did steep. It is erotic. Yes, suppling it. She's she's massaging it to suppleness, his flesh. Um, (laughs) You know. She's got all these skills, by the way. It's Mm. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, she knows what she's doing. She does. To abate all spasm and soak the swelling bruise. And after having searched the intuce deep, so the wound, which of course would be a painful process. Yeah. You know, even looking for bits of arrowhead or something in, in the wound. Mm. She with her scarf did bind the wound from cold to keep. So this is all, 
I like the way it's actually rather precise and yeah. clinical. Well, it's clinical and, and erotic. Sexy. Sexy. Clinical and sexy. sexy, yes. Yes. Which is curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, if a doctor did this, if a doctor does this to you, report it. Well, exactly. Yeah. But if a nurse does it... Still report it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> By this he had sweet life recured again and groaningly deep. At last his eyes, his watery eyes, drizzling like dewy rain, he up gan lift toward the Asia skies, from whence descend all hopeless remedies. All remedies that you couldn't hope for but happen anyway. And of course, we've already heard that this was providential. Yeah. At the very beginning. Therewith he sighed, and turning him aside, the goodly maid, full of divinities and gifts of heavenly grace, he by him spied, her bow and gilded quiver, lying him beside. So, and again, the, the bow and the, the quiver suggesting. Mm -hmm. Cupid. Mercy, dear Lord, said he, what grace is this that thou hast showed to me, sinful wight? To send thine angel from her bower of bliss. So he takes her for an angel. Um, <laughs> Who else? Well, we're thinking of angel or goddess. I mean, the, the idea of taking a woman you meet for a goddess goes back to the Aeneid. It's um, it's when Virgil lands on the shore on North Africa, oh, bumps she's... into his mother dressed as a huntress. Yeah. And mother Venus, of course. Yep. Aphrodite, and takes her for a goddess, which of course is actually quite accurate. It's a nice dream. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yes. What angel? Yes. Flowery. Wake, wake, what angel wakes me from my flowery, flowery bed? bed. Yes. yes. Is that he's making fun of that? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes. Considering it's a donkey brain. <laughs> Hmm. Hmm. Um, as as Bottom says, reason and love keep little company together nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yes, from her bower of bliss. Now, of course, the words bower of bliss are heavily charged in this poem. Mm. <laughs> they sure are. <laughs> but here we are it's exactly by contrast. Yeah. You know. This is a genuine bower of bliss, whereas the bower of bliss was named ironically, in a sense, because mm. there was no bliss going on in there, just longing and desire and tickling. Titillation. Titilla titillation, what a good word, mm. yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, to comfort me in my distressed plight, angel or goddess, do I call thee right? What service, and again, here taking her for a goddess, what service may I do unto thee meet that has from darkness me returned to light, and with thy heavenly salves and medicines sweet has dressed my sinful wounds? I kiss thy blessed feet. So there's some Virgin Mary ness yeah. going on. Well, that's right. Uh, she dresses his wounds, cleans his yeah. feet. Well, no, his no, feet. She, no, she kisses him. He kisses her feet. Right. There's feet yes. kissing. There's foot kissing going on, <laughs> as with the Pope. <laughs> yes. Oh. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yes, it's a curious 
It's a curious touch. It's amazing how many female idols are brought together in Belphoebe. It's Aphrodite, it's yes. Diana, it's the Virgin, the Virgin Mary. Mary, it's uh, Elizabeth. Yes. It's the witch. It's the, it's the Hecate, the power of three. Yeah. It's every, can I say yes, idol? Yes, every, every kind of female, a good female archetype yeah. is bound up in her. Yeah. And it's completely natural. Yes. Not socialised. That's right. I'm glad we've read on here. I have fruit. Yes. Well, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of it. Totally unsocialised. She doesn't know she's supposed to be doing all sorts of weird things in court, you know. Fun, fun, fun. Fuck Satan. <laughs> so to speak. Mm. Well, that's what, you, that's what you had to do if you were to become a witch. Uh, yes. Mm. I had to explain that to a mortified year 10 the other day. Oh, really? I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> mm, yes, Alice, you probably could have left that out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, um, you I just know, feel like knowledge is power. Sorry. That's right. Well, you, you you probably don't know George Orwell's novel, um, A Clergyman's Daughter. No. No. But <laughs> it's quite fun. He wasn't a great novelist, but he, you know, he's a fun novelist. In, in that novel, um, A Clergyman's Daughter, I forget her name, has a job teaching in a, in a, in a school, a private school. And she's teaching Macbeth, and she gets fired because one of the pupils asks her what it means to say that Macduff was from his mother's womb untimely ripped. And she explains what that means, and she gets fired. So, really? Well, this is the 1930s. Oh, okay. It's like um, Helen Garner getting fired. Yeah, exactly. Damn. Exactly. But you know, what, you, what are you supposed to tell the child? Yeah, what mm. hang on. Yeah, you're in a room. You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, yes, universal archetype, mm. Bell Phoebe. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. So you can't really blame him for falling in love with her. It's kind of, you know... I guess. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's everything you're meant to love in a woman. Yes. So he's being hit with, you know, all the artillery at once. Mm. Um... Sorry, my, the wind blew my pager. Um, we're end of 35. 35, oh yes. I kiss thy blessed feet. And of course that's also a way of, you know, again, kissing kissing her feet could have a kind of erotic tinge to it. <laughs> mm. Then actually blushing said, Ah, gentle squire, nor goddess, I, nor angel, but the maid and daughter of a woody nymph, desire no service but thy safety and aid. Safety... Is that that's another one? Well, no, no. Mm. That's that's just how you said it in those days. Safety. Safety. Okay. Um, if you remember, in Hamlet, on thy choice depends the safety and health of the whole state. Hmm. On his choice depends. That's Hamlet, who he marries. Hmm. So yeah, it's a funny little. And it, now we've just lost that middle, little vowel. Which, if I gain, I shall be well paid. We mortal whites, whose lives and fortunes be to common accidents, still open laid, are bound. So she doesn't know really her her origins or her destiny. She's kind of ignorant of all that. Are bound with common bond of frailty to succour wretched whites, whom we captivated see. That, of course, is you know a kind of essence of Christianity, which she has acquired 
again, not mm. through being schooled, but through natural means. It's a kind of a natural truth that's written on her heart. Uh, and which in, in people who are, you know, brought up in the court or wherever will be overwritten by all sorts of other less admirable precepts. It's interesting as well because we're dealing at the time with the idea of the wood woes or the mm. foster who is wild in nature and needs to be tamed using Christianity. Well, you know, everyone they're going but there are always and, two kinds of, yes. of, of wild man. Yeah. There's the wild man who is wild because he partakes of a depraved human nature um, and therefore is lustful and so on, violent but there's also the wild man who is closer to God through uh, nature because it's actual nature, it's it's un... Like Adam Yeah, well like Adam before the fall Mm. Yeah, exactly And and these, these are kind, helpful, loving salvage men Yeah, yeah, the salvage men Yeah, yeah and they're both present in the poem because, you know, he's, he's got this double perspective, if you like. Mm. And, and, yeah, she is a salvage woman. Kind mm. of, kind of. And those ideas that were just emerging, really, in the 16th century, in, you know, in the writings of Montaigne and people like that. Mm. And, and cannibals, yeah. Yeah, and, and they lead ultimately to things like the idea of the noble savage in the, in the yeah. 18th century. And, and indeed Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. who is very much a noble savage, mm. who... Who is imprinted not by the world but by Milton? And Goethe <laughs> and Gibbon. Oh, you were that fine, Goethe and Gibbon. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Which, having now read all three, is quite a mix. Well, Gibbon would give him a lot of, you know, stories of vice and depravity and. Yeah. Um, except he probably couldn't read the the, the, the filthy footnotes because they're written in Latin. <laughs> he probably couldn't. <laughs> And then Milton is a true history, yeah. The decent obscurity of a learned language is given. Nice. He's <laughs> a funny man. Yes. Um, so she's really quite humble, you know, with all her excellence and wonderfulness. She's. She probably doesn't know. Well, she doesn't know. She's she just she assumes everybody why is. everybody keeps fawning around. <laughs> Get up! <laughs> Kissing her feet all the time. You remember when Una meets the the um, the forest folk? What are they called? Yes, and they try to worship her. They try to worship her and, and bone they, her. And exactly. Well, sort all of. Once. Yeah, and they kiss her feet. You know, yeah. Because it's a, it's an adoration of a saintly looking saintly, woman. Saintly. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Exactly. Standard procedure. By this her damsels, which the former chase had undertaken after her, arrived, as did Belphoebe in the bloody place, and thereby deemed the beast had been deprived of life, whom late their lady Lady arrived. For by the bloody track they followed fast, and every one to run the swiftest stride. But two of them the rest far overpassed, and where their lady was, arrived at the last. Where, when they saw that goodly boy with blood defouled and their lady dress his wound, they wondered much and shortly understood how him in deadly case their lady found and rescued out of the heavy stound. <sighs> Astound, wound, swooned, swooned, stayed, sound. strayed. Well, yeah. well, I'm just saying too, there's so many ways of saying swoon. Men falling over. Yeah, and, and, and stound is an extra um, 
suggestion there that you're in a swoon because you've been stunned. Huh? A heavy weight has fallen upon you've you. You've been thrilled. Well, yeah, thrilled by love, or uh, or a stonied. A stonied, yes, As like Adam. Adam, a stonied, stood and blank while Horatio ran through his veins and all his joints relaxed. Mm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it, that for for Spencer as a poet. Language has a kind of plasticity. Mm. He can... I guess when you knew so many, we've lost this now. Yes, it's true. That's true. You could move between them and you could see the connections and the tunnels and the pathways. This is how you live your life. (laughs) 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 But for the rest of us that only know one and a bit of a few... Yeah, yeah. Indeed. She made those devils search, which being stayed, they did him set thereon, and forthwith with, and forth with them conveyed. Thirty-nine, <laughs> just as a timely reminder, into that forest far they thence him led, where was their dwelling in a pleasant glade, a pleasant glade here, and not all pleasant glades are dangerous. You talked about Hortus Conclusus. Yes, with mountains mm. round about environed, exactly. Yes. Where are Hortus Conclusus? Yes, exactly. Waters <laughs> conclusive. No bad actors, as people say nowadays, which is such a stupid phrase. To me, a bad actor is, you know, a ham. Shrieking Julia. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, no, nobody with felonious intent can enter. Um... With mountains round about environed and mighty woods which did the valley shade, and like a stately theatre it made, spreading itself into a spacious plain, a bit like Milton's Paradise, of course. And also echoing slightly the Bower of Bliss, or rather, should I say, the Bower of Bliss echoes this to some extent. Hmm. And in the midst, a little river played among the puny stones, which seemed to plain with gentle murmur. That his course they did restrain. Beside the sail, a dainty place they lay, planted with myrtle trees and laurels green. Mm. Myrtle trees, of course. Sacred to Venus. Yeah. Which is laurels is your poet. No. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Julius Caesar. Oh, yeah, no, laurel, yes, laurels are. Poets. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. That's right. Or, or bays. Bays are also sacred to poets. But the myrtle is interesting because... Remember Venus has many aspects. Yes, she can be... She can be, well... Dangerous, sexy, or genuine love, or... Or she can be Venus genetrix. Yeah, caught in well, mid-coitus no. with Mars and... Uh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, genetrix means producing everything. That's right. Generating everything. Coming but out of the, the ocean. X means female. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. Christ. So, she's the female generator of everything. Nice. The source of all life, basically. Mm-hmm. It all comes from her. Uh, so this is a very different Venus. This isn't the kind of personal goddess who gets spiteful or falls in love or whatever. This is the principle of life itself, which, of course, we meet uh, in the, the Garden bar- of Garden of Adonis. Uh, sorry, yes, that's what yeah. I was going for, which we're coming up to. Which we're coming up to. 
And the Garden of Olives is, of course, meant to be a kind of... Well, the Bower of Bliss is a sort of pre-echo of the Garden of Adonis, but a failed, depraved version. Failed attempt, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Humans too involved. Exactly. In which the birds sang many a lovely lay of God's high praise. So, remember the Bower of Bliss has the birds singing lovely lays? It's the very phrase, lovely lay. Mm. But there the lovely lay is basically... Let's do it now while we still have <laughs> our, our teeth. teeth. Yes. <laughs> Not God's praise at all. Yeah, interesting. And, and of course, making fornication sound innocent and sweet and. You know. hmm. Yeah. And of their love, sweet teen, as if an earthly paradise had been. Yeah, well. In whose enclosed shadow there was pite a fair pavilion, scarcely to be seen. The shadow from the mountains and the, the woods and so on. Sounds lovely. Yeah, but it's 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 not a bad shadow. Or what you could say is that you know, almost in Jungian terms, the Bower of Bliss is the shadow of this place, as it is the mm. shadow of the Garden of Adonis. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Um, the which was all within most richly dight, that greatest princes living it might well delight. Including Elizabeth, perhaps. Thither they brought that wounded squire and laid an easy couch his feeble limbs to rest. He rested him a while, and then the maid with ready wound, his ready wound with better salves, new dressed. Daily she dressed him, and did the best. Oh, dressed, I beg your pardon. Daily she dressed him, and did the best her grievous heart to garish, that she might that shortly his dollar hath redressed. To heal, to his grievous hurt to heal. But shortly he his dollar hath redressed, and his foul sore reduced to fair plight. It she reduced, it she reduced, but himself destroyed quite. Hmm. <laughs> Notice that the rest in the middle, because Alexandrines have a rest after the first three beats always. Here it comes after but, so there's a kind of pregnant little pause. Him, it, it she reduced, but himself destroyed quite <laughs> making an antithesis between the two she heals his wound but hurts his heart oh foolish physic and unfruitful pain that heals up one and makes another wound <laughs> she is hurt thigh to him recured again but hurt his heart the which before was sound that's right just go to uh, Merlin What's that? Merlin. Go to Merlin. He's got oh, the answer to this. Yes, that's <laughs> Give right. Give you your prophecy and send you on your way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Through an unwary dart which did rebound from her fair eyes. So it's a dart which physically hurts his groin, his thigh, but then it's a metaphorical dart. A dart is narrow, of course. Mm. <coughs> As in the game of darts played in English pubs. Mm. They played darts. Mm. 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 And... They're sometimes called arrows, in fact. Mm. There you go. Mm. Um, she rebound from her fair eyes and gracious countenance. What boots it him from death to be unbound, to be captived in, in, captived in endless durance of sorrow and despair without allegiance? So... Um, there are kind of religious overturns here, aren't there, in a sense. He's, he's saved from death, but he's in an endless 
prison. And ah. Yes. We're back. We're back, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The Christian soul. But of course, Christian soul is released ultimately from this prison by grace. Still is his wounded gather and grow whole, so still his heart walks sore and health decayed. Madness to save a part and lose the whole. Still when as he beheld the heavenly maid, whilst daily plasters to his wound she laid, so still his malady the more increased, whilst her matchless beauty him dismayed. Ah, God, what other could he do at least but love so fair a lady that his life released? And that's actually quite interesting, isn't it? Because it shows that we're not dealing with lust of the eye. Yes, she's amazingly beautiful, but that's not why he falls in love with her. It's because of her loving care of him. And, you know, this is a very... It's a common trope, isn't it? Like, World War One, yeah. sort of just falling in love with the nurse. Yeah, exactly. And it's very natural and understandable. Mm-hmm. Um... Yes, there's, there's a nice episode of Blackadder Goes Forth. Mm, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so and she turns out to be the, the spy. spy. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Also, it's a little reminiscent of what's called in psychoanalysis analysis, the transference. This it's is a lot of psychoanalysis today. <laughs> yeah. Go on. <laughs> well, this is where the patient, what uh, do you call them? falls in love with their psychoanalyst because of the, oh. the way they're helping them and the way they show this interest in them it's got purely professional interest but you know mm. um, tell me again what what your brother said to you when you were seven and you know who else would be interested uh, what's it Sopranos has a very interesting version yes. of that doesn't it yes yeah. yes that's true nice touch mm. yes, nice. Good. Mm. there yeah. you go okay exactly so very natural um, but also knows in a sense since she represents grace he's dying, she comes, she saves him she raises him again from the dead um, to love her is appropriate and in fact it is natural there's a, there's a the word unkind means both unnatural and mean, mean. thank mm-hmm. you <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> And the soul that refuses to turn to God after having been rescued by Christ Mm. is often described in medieval texts as unkind. You're unkind to God, meaning both, yes, you know, you're mean to God, which seems a bit odd because, you know, hard to be mean to somebody who's so much more powerful than you, but also you are unnatural in not returning that overflowing love Mm. that has flowed to you. It should flow back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's being entirely kind and natural in loving her. It's not something to be blamed in a way. It's something that is both natural in the sense it could hardly be helped, and but also natural in the sense that it is entirely appropriate in the redeemed soul to mm-hmm. return the love that has redeemed him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But love so fair a lady that his life released. So absolutely not lust of the eyes. But of course he's a human being. Um, and so there may be a little tickle of, mm-hmm. you know, 
And again, this is naturalistic in, in, in Spencer, isn't and it? Outstanding Rather nicely. members. Yes, that's right. It could hardly be avoided. Yeah. He's not a ghost. He's not a. He's a human being with, with all not the parts. Not asexual. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Human right. being with all the parts. Fallen human being with all the parts. Well, that too, yeah. Mm. Long while he strove in his courageous breast with reason due the passion to subdue. No, that's ne- that never works, does it? No. <laughs> a love for to dislodge out, but he's trying, you know. He's doing more than Werther ever did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a love for to dislodge out of his breast, of his nest, sorry. Still when her excellent... It, love having a nest is interesting, isn't it? It suggests divine love in the form of the Holy Ghost descending the dove. <laughs> yeah, OK. I'm, I'm sure doves have nests, don't they? They must do. Sure, it's a bird. It's a bird. Yeah, go on. Yep. Yeah. Um, still when her excellency he did view her sovereign bounty... Remember that wonderful word, bounty? Yes. Virtue... Valor, Valor, kindness, kindness, generosity. Exactly. All those things, you know. It's like chastity. You open it up and it just keeps unfolding. Exactly. So she's got the full hand, you know. Sure does. Celestial Hugh, the same to love he strongly was constrained. Yeah, fair enough. But when his mean estate he did review, he from such hardy boldness was restrained. And of his luckless lot and cruel love thus plained. It's interesting that there's a curious, weird, contrastive uh, reminiscence of Braggadocio here. It's about as opposite as you can get. Hmm. Because Braggadocio feels a great deal of lust towards her, but is repelled by her kind of, you know, sternness and majesty and... Yes. Uh, so he's got that kind of doubleness. But here it's quite different. He feels love for her, this elevating love mm. but also is aware of his own unworthiness mm. Mm. a bit again like the soul before God I suppose unthankful wretch said he is this thy me- the mead with which her sovereign mercy that, that was quite requite of course thy life she savoured by her gracious deed but thou dost ween with villainous despite to blot her honour and her heavenly light. Die, rather, die, than so disloyally deem her, deem of her high desert, or seem so light. Fair death it is to shun more shame, to die, die, rather, die, than ever love, disloyally. Has die got a double meaning there? Here, no, yeah. but I think in the next stanza, yes, and okay. I think that's the point. But of course it's a double meaning that's invisible to him. So in the first, he's thinking in you know quite. He's, he's thinking in kind of high, honourable terms. Better to die than to blot her honour, you know, with foul thoughts and all that kind of stuff. But then he goes on. So it, it, in Stanza forty-five, should we say he's taking a kind of a noble stand, a noble position, a knightly, a knightly position, position yeah. But, you know, humans are humans and we can't sustain that all Sometimes the time. Sometimes we are horny, yes. Yeah, exactly. Horniness knocks on the door. Mm. And God's just behind with a box of chocolates. <laughs> and you must choose. That's right. <laughs> Who's yeah. taking you to the ball? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. On this episode of Married at First Sight. Oh, another one bites the dust. Very good. I hate mosquitoes here. Yeah. 
What use are they to man or beast? <laughs> Hmm. Good question. Good question. So, but, and then 46 begins with but. Oh yeah, her point. But if to love disloyalty it be, shall I then hate her that from death, ah, from death's door, you see another catalexis there? From death's door, how it emphasises the seriousness of death's door. Death. Or you could say death's door, but that's no. ridiculous because, you know, there's plasticity in language, but it's not a kind of stupid plasticity. It doesn't. It's not like silly putty. <laughs> it's got to make sense. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. Also interesting, you, you 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 don't find it in the very earliest parts of the poem. You find it in this later poem because Shakespeare uses catalexis a lot, but it's in his later versification. That's interesting because it suggested a couple of things, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's we know that as he progresses, the style develops and changes, and he's a lot more restrained in mm. the earlier books. Yeah. But also, he's beginning to experiment more. So he yes. wrote in a straight line. Yes. He it looks like wasn't it. Wasn't necessarily going back and changing things. Yeah, it looks exactly like it, doesn't it? And it also suggests this is wild speculation. We're, we're allowed to every now and then. We're allowed to. <laughs> that, you know, he might have of an afternoon, when he wanted a bit of relief from writing Fairy Queen, trotted along to the Globe Theatre and seen a Shakespeare play or two. And, of course, with his wonderful ear, he would have spotted the catalexes in the play and thought, gosh, that's a clever device. It distributes emphasis in a new way. Wow, I could use that. Or maybe even unconsciously, I don't know. Um, Pretty cool. What are we, 1590? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Absolutely is. Damn, Spencer and Shakespeare could have met. They could have, yes. Could have gone round after after the show and said, I really enjoyed that, Mr Shakespeare. I liked your use of catalexis. <sighs> <laughs> Who knows? Hmm. If only somebody had been around with a tape recorder. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, um... So he's beginning to rationalise now. Uh, after, after a noble stance, he's now thinking, yeah, but... I'd really like to bang her. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's a very interesting, speaking of Shakespeare, in Measure for Measure, Claudio, when being told that, you know, he, he can get off being, being, having his head chopped off if Isabella bangs the, um, the governor... Angelo. Oh, yeah. And his first response is, you sh thou shalt not do it. Absolutely not. What a horrible idea. Followed by, oh, actually, I'd like to live. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a small sacrifice. Exactly. It's so human. Mm. Mm. And she gets really angry. And metrically, she actually slaps him because there's, there's, there's a missing beat, which in Shakespeare always indicates some kind of action. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> But again, and almost immediately she calms down and thinks, gosh, no, I actually would quite like to save him from being... He's so psychological. There's always yes. the, the irrational response and then the rational... Yes. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. As compared to, you know, sort of contemporary plays like Bowman and Fletcher where they're always posturing with these kind of high ideals and love versus honour and, you know... No. Oh. Exactly. So... But if to love disloyalty it be, 
Shall I then hate her that from death, death's door me brought? Ah, far be such reproach for me, and it will be very wrong of me not to love her. I owe her that. What can I less do than her love, therefore, since that I her due reward cannot restore? You know, I, I, again, this is kind of theological language. You cannot repay He's God. talking to himself. As yeah, well. yeah, you yeah. can't repay God for saving you, but you can love him. You yes. should do. Die, rather die, and dying do her serve. Now mm. here, yes. we have unconscious sylepsis. Yes. Where die, of course, means come. Sure does. Because we, we've met the word serve again and again, and it in both Shakespeare serve. and Spencer, serve can have that sexual meaning. You know, a bull serves a cow. Mm. Um, dying do her serve, dying her serve. Notice he repeats that, and living her adore. Thy life she gave, thy life doth she deserve, she doth deserve. Die rather die than ever from her service. Swerve. Almost as uh, yeah, the repetition there becomes sexual. Yes. The way he keeps hitting the mark. That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> if I can put it that way. Exactly. So, what was a kind of innocent word in stanzas 20, 46, 45? Become subconsciously. Yes. Tainted, should we say. Yeah. By desire. And it's just Therefore. desire, it's not. No. It's kind of like Eve looking at herself in the in her reflection. Yeah. It's just it's innocent desire. Yes, that's right. It's just hot. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Thus worried he, um, he making war against himself, if you like. Was worried he long time against his will. That's a real nice pun there, isn't it? Of course, because will, of course, it means will in the modern sense. But a very strong meaning of it in, in Elizabethan period is sexual desire. Mm. And Shakespeare's always punning upon will in that sense. He sure <laughs> When thou hast thy will, thou hast not thy will, meaning William Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> it, it, that's in the sonnets. <laughs> yes. Of course. <laughs> yep. Uh, will hast thou and will in overplus, he says at one point in the sonnets. You know, too much desire. But you've got me, but you're not using me. <laughs> of course, he made a pun out of his name. Oh, of course, course he did. Of course he did. I know. With you know, it's as though you it's were... easy. It's there. Yes, it's well. When I was an undergraduate, we had some American exchange students, and one of them was called Randolph. But he'd go around and say, "Hi, I'm Randy." <laughs> and people would back off. Because, <laughs> of course, it's not an American term. It's a, yeah. Americans say horny. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't tell him, did you? You just stood back and watched that. I can see that happening. <laughs> I would have done the same. <laughs> Another of them complimented a girl on her nice fanny. I'm surprised at the poor reception that received. Mm. Thus warred he long time against his will, that till that through weakness he was forced at last to yield himself unto the mighty ill, which as a victor proud and ransack fast his inward parts. So, basically, he loses the battle against desire, and all his entrails waste, and neither blood in face nor life in heart is left, but both did quite dry up and blast. Interesting. Like, like a disease. 
Mm. Ultimately, disease carried on the wind, on the air, because blast means blow, of course. Mm. Uh, the, blast, the last blast of the trumpet. As piercing leaven, which the inner part of everything consumes and calcineth by art. Calcineth. Um, that's an old chemical term. It means sort of eat up by fire. You know, transform mm. through fire. Calcify. Kind of. Yeah, re- reducing to a kind of powder. Yeah. Um, well, by art, and of course, just means by alchemy. Oh, of course. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. Even 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 Hamilton notices that, by the way. For, for Will, <laughs> he says, Will, also lust. Which is <laughs> a prim, prim little note, but uh, not uh, correct. Which, seeing fair Belle Phoebe, began to fear, lest that his wound were inly well not healed, or that the wicked steel empoisoned were, little she weened that love he close concealed. And still he wasted as the snow congealed when the bright sun his beams thereon, thereon doth beat. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> as in spring, you know. The, the wasted as the snow congealed? Yes, it's odd, isn't it? Mm. Because that's what happens in the spring. All, all, all the you know, snow that's on the ground, the sun shines on it and it. Mm. But to congeal, technically, of course, means to freeze, doesn't it? It's a participle. It's not a. It's not a finite verb. Of course. Yes. Hade. <laughs> exactly. So the the no, well, the snow congeal means the congealed snow. Oh. So he wastes away like the congealed, the frozen snow, when the bright sun is beams are on double. And it beams. can't pierce. And that brings us back to the Garden of Donuts. We can't get the life-giving force in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So, and of course, here the bright sun is Belphoebe. Yeah. She smiles upon him, and it has the reverse effect. Mm. He wastes away like the frozen snow that's... Hmm. Interesting. It's almost a Shakespearean image, actually. But rather chose to die for sorrow great than with dishonourable terms her to entreat. So again, he's not going to mention it. It's very English. <laughs> Here we are, we're on the home straight. You've done well. Mm, we, we, we're getting through. She, gracious lady, yet no pains did spare to do him ease or do him remedy. Many restoratives of virtues rare and costly cordials she did apply to mitigate his stubborn malady. But that sweet cordial which can restore a lovesick heart she did to him envy. To envy something, to envy, is to grudge, to withhold it because you don't want to give it. Ah, oh, so the university and money. Yes. Or education. That's right, exactly. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yes, they begrudge it. Mm. But she's not begrudging it because she's curmudgeonly. No. <laughs> <laughs> she just isn't, doesn't feel that way about him. No. She's well, busy. Exactly. And because her chastity is... Part of her identity, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's interesting because you know, yeah, she's giving so much. Yes, to exactly. This relationship, as is she. Yeah, I mean, fair dues. 
<laughs> yeah. She's being generous. She's being yes. charitable. Yes. Well, that's it. This is that fusing of chastity and generosity bounty that we yeah. were talking about. There's nothing mean or withholding about it. And so he wants the other bit. He wants the other bit, the little bit in but the corner that he can't have. He should be appreciating what he's getting. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Mm. He should be basking. Though, interestingly, isn't that kind of what is happening on some level? Because the images of the sun melting away the frozen snow. Now, she's the sun, and he's the frozen snow. There's a sense in which she's having some kind of interesting moral effect upon him, isn't there? Yes, making um, him into a better square. Yeah, because no, no, nobody wants to be snow. N- n- no. Yeah. <laughs> well, you... No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You want to freeze. At least he's a snowman, but... I don't think Spencer had snowmen. Yeah. Yeah. So, she did envy that sovereign salve in the secret store. Some lovely illustration there. And the sovereign salve is, well, we know what it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's in secret store. That dainty rose, the daughter of her morn, more dear than life she tended. Tenderhead, sorry, whose flower the garland of her honour is on. So the rose, of course, suggests virginity, be because plucked. of course to be plucked. The rose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But before it's plucked, it's unplucked. It's unplucked. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> she doesn't want to be plucked. And who would? What rose wants to be plucked? Because you kill the rose. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. yeah, it can't. It it can't survive much longer in a you know, glass of water or something. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's perfectly reasonable. It's self-preservation. It's exactly what it is, self-preservation, because, as I said, her identity depends upon her chastity. Not just her virginity, but her chastity, Mm. with all its other rich connotations. Yeah. Mm, Her bounty. Yeah. It's who she is, as people say nowadays. More dear than life she tended, tendered whose flower the garland of her honour did adorn. Nor suffered she the midday's scorching power, nor the sharp northern wind thereon to shower, but lapped up her silken leaves most chair. And so the froward sky began to lower. Chair means carefully, chairily. When so the froward sky began to lower, but soon as calm it was the crystal air, she did it fair to spread and let to flourish fair. So, this, again, this chastity is something of living, flourishing, flourishing fair. It's mm. rose, you know. It's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. Mm. And she's protecting it. You can't it. have it. You can't no. possess something like that and it still maintain what it was, if that makes sense. Eternal God in his almighty power to make ensample of his heavenly grace. In paradise Willom did plant this flower, whence he had fetched out of her native place, and did in stock of earthly flesh in race that mortal men her glory should admire, and gentle ladies' breast, and boundless race of womankind at fairest flower of spire, and beareth fruit of honour and mm. all the chaste desire. And again, it's interesting. It's productive, it's fruitful, it's generative. Without a sexuality. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. Exactly. There's a sense, isn't it? It's a, it's a flower that grew in paradise. Hmm. There's a sense in which she, in some sense, evades concupiscence of the flesh. She's full of not. She's grown up outside of society. I, yeah. I get that it comes from the fall or whatever, but she hasn't, I guess, internalized. Exactly so. Yeah. 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 So she's a bit like. She's a bit like the good wild man who lives in the yeah. woods. Um, as opposed to the wicked wild man who is just concupiscent of the flesh mm. made fleshy. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah, exactly so. Yeah. So she's kind of like a wild woman. Mm. Sort of. I don't know. That... Yeah, the female child of nature is a rare one. Yeah, exactly. We should talk about that. Exactly. There's um, what's a face in um, a mammoth wanderer and Eve, and there's not many. Eve. Well, what about the, the Belle Dame sans Merci? She's yeah. kind of like you know. Yeah. She wanders in the woods, a fairy's child. Josh had another one. We always talked about writing an article about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Won't be happening. Well, I mean, the point is, you can point to all this when you write about. Mm, footnote. Footnote. Mm, love a footnote. Footnote. Yeah. Yeah, I must think about that. Because between those two, I mean. Yeah, there's not many. You've got the noble savage mm. and the child of nature. Yeah. It's very hard to find a female child of nature. Yes, exactly. Mm. There's a few, but. Certainly not in the 18th century. It was, well, it's mostly the 18th century. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. I should give that some thought. Oh, I hear the sheep. Oh, yes. <laughs> Pointed bleating. Pointed bleating. They basically look after themselves, the sheep. Fair imps of beauty, whose bright shining beams adorn the world with like to heavenly light, and to your wills both royalty and realms subdue through conquest of your wondrous might. So this is women, basically. Imps of beauty. Shoot. An imp is a, a growth. Child of the devil? No. Well, it can be a child, yes. A, a scion, um, a, a, a growth. Okay. Satan's pimple. Yes. Okay. That's right. If you had branches growing out of your head. If. If. <laughs> they would be imps. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yes, um... I don't know what like to heavenly light. It's an interesting mixture of the, the, the celestial and the diabolic, isn't it? Hmm. And to your wills with royalties and realms. Your will, again, could mean just what you want. So you have this enormous power. Power. Well, it's, it's almost a version of Weibermacht, isn't it? Hmm. I suppose I, I, I suppose we have to exclude the kind of sexual desire thing from the rules there, but you know it's only one of the meanings of the word. Context is is important. Yes, sure. Through context of your context, and of course, Elizabeth herself is very important here. With this fair flower, your goodly garlands dight of chastity and virtue virginal, that shall embellish more your beauty bright and crown your heads with heaven and heavenly coronal such as the angels wear before God's tribunal. Fair enough. To your fair selves a fair ensample frame of this fair virgin, this Belphoebe fair. We have here a... Fair, 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 fair. Yeah, it's 
what we call plochi. P L O C E. Plochi means unstructured repetition of a word. Okay. And when when you do that, Spencer does it quite a lot when he wants to draw attention to the word. The word, yes. (laughs) True. Sorry. That's very undergraduate of me. (laughs) I'll go shoot myself. (laughs) But difference within similarity, if you like. Uh, so ringing, yeah. ringing the changes on a word, your fair selves, your beautiful selves, a fair ensample, a morally admirable ensample of this fair virgin who is both of those things, this Belphoebe fair, who has all these excellences, of course, as we've seen already. It's a bit like the, the famous Easter sonnet where mm. the word love acquires meaning as you move through the poem until it's a big snowball of layers of... Mm. What he calls intendiment, hmm. which is a lovely word. Um, to whom in perfect love and spotless fame of chastity, none living may compare. A bit dangerous, that, of course, because you know uh, Queen Victoria, uh, yeah, Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Sorry, yeah. But then he can argue in defence. Well, but she is Elizabeth, so yeah. you know, sort of, kind of, kind of, sort of, yeah. <laughs> The poisonous envy justly can impair the praise of her flesh-flowering maidenhead. So even envy can't, can't mm. detract. For thy she standeth on the highest stair of the honourable stage of womanhood, that ladies all may follow her ensample dead. Ensample dead is a bit odd, her dead example. Um, oh, well, I thought it meant she's dead. Will be an example. Sure. But she's not dead. You know, one, one of the definitions of treason under the Treason Act of 1348. Is to imagine them dead? To imagine the death of the monarch, yes. Oh, hard to. One of those don't think of an elephant things. Well, I know, I know, I know. Jesus. But I think if you keep it to yourself, nobody can prove you've been imagining it. Well, but yeah. Until Elon Musk sticks nodes in us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. But if you go to the pub and say, look, when this queen gets, is dead, I shall take over the realm and plant myself in, you know, then that's treason. Um, in so great praise of steadfast chastity, unless she was so courteous and kind. Is that word kind? We've been talking mm. about kind and unkind. It's natural to be, to be grateful to God and so on. Um, and courteous. Uh, uh, as we discover a very rich word later on meaning behaving appropriately to people in all the I mean you know the basic meaning above you and below you there's not much above her of course no just God (laughs) that's right but when she meets Trumpard she calls him a hind because he's a hind and she sort of treats him as though he's kind of obliged to be a servant for the time being yeah but she's pleasant Yes. Yeah, she, she's not rude outside of no, that. It's just, no. Yeah. Not at all. She's not a Karen, as they say nowadays. No. No. <laughs> that seem with those two virtues strive to find a higher place in a heroic mind. And heroic, of course, is, is a word that normally would apply only to men. Yeah. So. So striving each the other more augment, and both increased the praise of womankind, and both increased her beauty excellent. So all did make in her 
a perfect complement. So she's kind of like, she's the full package. Of course, in a, there's a sense in which you only really discover what that means after you've read the whole poem, book six included. Because there the notion of a courtesy mm. is proven to be, like chastity, much more complex than the, the traditional accepted meaning. Much richer. And he wants you then to read it again, doesn't he? Yeah, well, I think, I think <laughs> so. It's like, I'm no, back to the beginning. Exactly. Which, of course, we have done. We so have done. Well, For you, gentle listener. That's right. We're on, we're on our second... Way through, yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's more than that. I mean, well, I read it first when I was 14 or 15. In the womb. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> and as I said, you know, I, I knew nothing of allegory or theology or anything, really. I just loved the poetry and I loved the stories. It's time before Netflix. Yeah, that's right. Read books. <laughs> well, yeah. there we are. But there we are. There's a CGI epic waiting to be made. Even if it were only book one. Yeah. Well, I suppose there's not enough love interest in book one. Maybe for Netflix, you'd have to go through. You could weave them all together and have them kind of happening at once, in a way. You could, yes. Another part of the wood. Yeah. Yes, well, Phoebe flying the forest song. Or you could turn it into prose. Anyway, oh. we'll see you uh, for the Garden of Adonis soon. In the Garden of Adonis, yes. Absolutely. Thank you.